0: We spend just a few moments this evening reading and reflecting from a passage in 1 Peter. We begin reading in chapter 1, and we'll continue down into the early part of chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at the 22nd verse. Peter writes, saying, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, In sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious." I'll have you notice this evening, as we begin, this little word at the beginning of chapter 2. Therefore. Uh, That's an interesting construct which simply points backward to what's just been said. Uh, Based upon the point he's just made, I'm about to move on with a further observation. And what's he just been saying? He's been describing the wonderful transformation that takes place at our uh, gospel conversion, described as uh, a new beginning, a new birth. Uh, We've purified our souls in the process. Uh, Having been begotten by the word of God, which by the gospel was preached to us, we obeyed that and became new, different, better people. As Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And this new birth puts us in a novel position of starting all over again. And the means by which we might grow are mentioned in the early part of chapter 2. We grow by means of the pure milk of the word. That's, uh, That's our nourishment. Just as we were in the sorry and sordid state we were in before Christ... By listening to the world over and over and over again. And becoming like the world shaped into its mold. Now we've been listening to the God of heaven. In the gospel of Christ. And we have had our lives changed. Our souls reborn. We're starting all over again. Because of that word. And now that's the same word that gives us the means. By which to grow as Christians. Uh, You might remember in Acts chapter 2. After. Uh, you find this playing out in a real time. Uh, you find the uh, Jews there of every nation under heaven described in uh, the second chapter of Acts, there at Jerusalem, in the area of the temple. And they hear the gospel preached to them by Peter. Their hearts are cut by what they've heard. They ask what they must do. They're told to repent and be baptized. Some 3,000 of them were. And then after that, we read, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Well, by what had they been begotten? By God's word, as preached through the inspired Peter. Uh, What had they done by obedience? They'd obeyed that word they had heard. When they gladly received the word, they were baptized, the scripture tells us. And how, having been baptized... Having been washed clean by the blood of Christ, now as new creatures, what do they do? They continue steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. The word was that by which they had been begotten. The word was that which brought them into the body of Christ. And that same word was to continue giving them every bit of strength and nourishment, direction, hope, and encouragement they needed. But back to that word, therefore, what follows the word suggests a few things that are not just kind of important, but absolutely essential to this process working out. Uh, What I've said so far is you've already known it. The scripture teaches that you've already, already known this before this evening. But sometimes it seems so simple, we wonder why it doesn't happen more often. People leave the world, come into the church, they leave what they've heard from the world, they listen to what the Bible says, they believe it, they become Christians, they're better because of it, their whole lives are turned upside down, for the better, they are taught by that word, become faithful Christians. Why isn't that happening all over with everybody? Well, the problem is we get in the way we get directly in the way of the progress we otherwise should be making. And that's why for just a moment, and I know sometimes preachers say that they don't mean it. This evening I mean it. Just for a moment, I'd like to dwell on these things that need to be laid aside. Based upon the fact we've started a brand new life, we've been born again, before we can have the Word of God beginning as nourishment to build us and grow us and help us, uh, we've got to make a firm decision to lay some things aside. Now you dig a bit into the original text here and the language that Paul uh, Peter is using, and you find that this word we have as uh, the two words laying aside, really mean literally uh, stripping away, as you might strip off old and dirty clothing. And the tense of it suggests it's an action done once and for all time. And so to put it all together, what he's saying is, strip these things off once and for all. It's not a time in, time out, part here and part later situation. These are decisions we make once and for all and should live up to every day going forward. Now, you've got, I've got, we all have clothes we take off and we wash them, put them back on. Uh, We uh, None of us uh, rich enough and frivolous enough just to wear clothes one time uh, fresh out of the package and throw them in the trash because we haven't got the energy to wash them. Uh, we're not like the wife on Green Acres who threw her dishes away. We, we decide to wear them again. But sometimes clothes get to such a situation that either we make a decision ourselves or somebody close to us says that's the last, I say this like I've heard this because I have heard this, that's the last time you're wearing that. Well, I have to admit to you that sometimes I sneak around and I, I save it anyway. But some things need to be thrown away. Some things we've worn enough. Some things we've worn out. But that picture is in the mind, as Peter writes this, about the life we live before Christ. And especially with respect to these attitudinal uh, matters of, of disposition, mindset, that we are supposed to, coming into Christ now, having, have completely laid aside now the Bible uses language otherwise that is just as strong, sometimes even stronger than this. And you think, how can you get stronger? Uh, well, in Colossians chapter three, Paul uh, reminiscing upon the fact of their having been born again, we've been raised with Christ, he says in Colossians three and one. And because of that, where we look to Christ and not to the earth beneath, we realize our life is hid with Christ and God. Christ is life and life is Christ. Having said all of that, he continues by saying, uh, this is uh, the old King James, mortify. A newer translation put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Well, as strong as it might seem to throw away your filthy rags of the life you used to live, Paul says in Colossians 3, you put them to death. You mortify them. And Paul knows what he's talking about because remember in Galatians 2 and 20, speaking of himself, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But regardless of the image you have in mind, uh, these things of the past need to be kept in the past and removed completely from us. Kill them, crucify them, strip them off, never to be put back on. Regardless of the image, the idea is the same. They're past tense. They're gone forever. And what are they? We haven't got time to look into all of these with any great detail, but he mentions malice. I think the King James uses wickedness, but it's a word meaning the wickedness of heart. And so malice is a good translation here. Deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. And for just one brief moment, I'd like to start partway through with hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. I remember years ago when I hadn't been preaching very long, and, and uh, I think wherever I was, I can't remember which congregation it was I was at, and the youth minister stood up, and he had a devotional, and he said, we're all a bunch of hypocrites, which got my attention, and uh, I thought he was going to start calling names for a moment, and he said, you heard me right, we're all a bunch of hypocrites, all Christians are hypocrites. And what he meant by that is we're not perfect. And I agreed with him on that. I think his use of language was a little inappropriate and completely missing the point of what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy is not missing perfection. If that is the case, and you define it that way, yes, we are. But that's not what the word means, and that's not what this concept entails. Hypocrisy is a purposeful living a life which is foreign To what one really believes. Uh, It comes from the idea of wearing the mask as an actor might. You've seen those masks uh, of uh, the old uh, Greek stage of uh, drama and comedy. Uh, It was wearing a mask to hide your own true self. And hide yourself behind the part you were playing. That's the idea behind hypocrisy. It's pretending to be one thing acting as if you're one thing, and yet really uh, deep down in the heart and in your life. Otherwise, you have a completely double, different life. That's uh, hypocrisy. That describes the Pharisees whom Jesus called hypocrites to a T because they pretended to be so very pious, but Jesus said of them, their heart is far from me. They claimed to love the law, but use the same law by making excuses for changing it and altering it to make huge loopholes for themselves that only they knew about, whereas the average person just was crushed under the very law they claimed to keep. They were hypocrites. And, of course, if we're coming into Christ... That's one part of our old life we should leave behind us. We shouldn't be one way, greeting the brethren on Sunday like today, and then a completely different person tomorrow when we get into the store or at work or with our neighbors behind the way. We should be Christians wherever we are, and not just in how we seem to be, but in who we really are. Uh, We should be Christians inside and out, through and through, seven days a week, all weeks of the year. And so strip off this hypocrisy, and uh, then he uses the word envy. We're jealous of keeping what we have, but we're envious of what somebody else has. An envy, which, which, remember in Romans 12 when Paul there, Speaks of the need to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those who weep. It's it's easy to weep with the weepers. But sometimes because of envy, which Barclay describes as the last sin to die, sometimes it's hard to sincerely rejoice with those that rejoice. Because we have to think, well, uh, that should be me. How come the good happened to them? How come they got that? How come they enjoy that? How come they're having a life like that compared to me? uh, I deserve that. They don't. I want that. They shouldn't have that. At worst, it leads to theft. At the very least, it corrodes the heart with envy. And of course, the more we're like Christ, the less we're like that, because those things of this life mean less and less and less. Our treasures are not here but in heaven. Our hope is not today but in heaven. Our citizenship is not here in this nation but in heaven. We're looking above, not beneath. And that helps us not be quite so envious with others. And then this last, evil. Speaking, So much damage can be done with the tongue. Sometimes we say some things, we don't even realize what or how we're saying them, and we're opening doors of thought with the person we're speaking to, doors which shouldn't be open, which lead them then to the temptation of thinking things they shouldn't be thinking. Uh, Speaking which is destructive and disastrous, which tears down rather than building up. Uh, Whereas a Christian should never be completely Pollyannish in, in not realizing and accepting the fact the world's a messed up place. We don't have to use all of our language all the time saying nothing but that. And even when we find ourselves in a position having to say some things we wish we didn't have to, we can say them as kindly as possible. This this evil speaking is speaking which tears people down. Uh, To their face, bad enough. Behind their back, even worse. It's a subject we talk about in hushed tones outside of sermons like this, Too infrequently in sermons like this, the matter of gossip. And we find all kinds of ways to couch that and and act as if we're not doing what we are. I'm not gossiping. I'm just concerned about so-and-so, and and you need to know what I think they may have done because somebody told me they thought somebody had done that, and so I'm not gossiping, but more, I'm so concerned about them. Uh, Or even worse... I heard something about so-and-so that I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm telling you because we need to pray for them. Uh, We use language like that covering up the fact all we're doing is gossiping. If you don't know it, don't repeat it. And if you know it and it's true but it's destructive and saying it's not going to help them, don't repeat it. Don't use your language, don't use your tongue to tear down, but to edify. As Paul will mention in Ephesians 4, he describes how our language should not be destructive as we're talking about now, but that language which is good for the use of edifying. Our language should be building up, not tearing down. Building bridges, not destroying relationships. And these three put together the non-hypocritical life, which is transparent and always on with respect to Christ-likeness. And never envious of someone else, but in fact instead always happy about their well-doing and their good fortune. And a disposition which speaks good and not evil to people. This is what Christianity is about. And the opposite, and listen carefully, the opposite is what we're supposed to have been left behind. It's supposed to be behind us. The world lives that way. If I were to ask you, aside from the moral decay and the crime and all of that, How do you describe the world in terms of attitude? And a lot of it's just dog-eat-dog. I'll get mine first. If you get yours, that's fine. But make sure I'm the big dog and I I have my food first. If I have to tear you down to get there, that's fine. Otherwise, I'll look out for number one. It's a dog-eat-dog world. That's what we came out of. And if the world sees us still living that way, they wonder what's the purpose in becoming a Christian. If Christians live the same way, we live. Uh, Christianity does not live as dogs in a dog-eat-dog world. We're supposed to live like Christ in a world living that way, showing as lights in the world of darkness what's supposed to be going on. Christ is supposed to be living through us. And so the point that Peter is making here is before we can ever start growing, in light of the fact we've been changed as new creatures from old to new now, we need to once and forevermore strip off this old clothing, put to death this old way of thinking of hypocrisy and envy and evil speaking. Come to think of it, that might be a pretty good resolution for the year. And the good news is you've already got one month behind you, one less month to have to work on it. If you're here tonight and outside of Christ, please change that. And if you are a Christian having strayed, come back. And if you need to, come now. Together we stand and sing.